Welcome to the Chasing Thoughts podcast. Chasing Thoughts was founded by strangers, two life coaches who met on TikTok and shared the desire to create a different kind of life coaching podcast. Instead of talking about how to do it right, the Chasing Thoughts podcast explores embracing our true essence to find a deeper sense of purpose and fulfillment. Life coaches Keith and Mindy take a unique approach that transcends popular notions of perpetual happiness and striving relentlessly to become one's ideal self. Listen in as Mindy, Keith, and their guests take a deep dive into their own minds and souls to investigate the beauty of imperfection, challenge their beliefs, and embrace the richness of living a truly authentic life. Hi, my name is Keith, and I'm a strategic interventionist and stoner-spirited life coach. Hi, my name is Mindy, and I am an authenticity empowerment coach. Welcome to Chasing Thoughts. So I'm excited about today. I kind of went and looked at my notes and prepared to kind of hear the second half. So last time we recorded you shared about your journey in the service and how you started, what it was like, which blew me away. I told so many people your stories since the last time that we talked. Really? I made all my friends listen to stories about you. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> because it was fascinating and really interesting. And I think the part that I'd love to hear about more is the healing journey and how you help people heal now, right? Like kind of that second half, because we heard about, you know, how you got there and then, you know, all the struggles to get the help that you needed. And then we just started talking about like what really started working and clicking when our episode was up last time. So maybe just start there, like, you know, kind of recap when your healing really started and then let's hear the journey from that point forward. Okay. Um, so when I, when I went to college, I think I was uh, 38 when I started and I found anthropology and I, when I first went and I went into an anthropology class cause I, I loved history. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to just be a history major or whatever. And I thought anthropology was like an academic fancy term for history. Um, and I realized quickly that's no, that's not the case. Um, it's like the, the study of human culture and behavior. And then there's all these sort of subfields of it. It's sort of like an umbrella term that covers um, biological anthropology, cultural um, archaeology, which which I freaking love, evolutionary um biology and then also they called it applied anthropology and applied anthropology doesn't get a lot of um a lot of like kind of backing behind it because one thing i noticed is that you know when you get into the academic world academics write for other academics you know um which i get but i'm like there's so much cool stuff here that doesn't trickle down to to normal like everyday people you know and and i'm not gonna pick up a book and like sometimes I, i'll get so discouraged because I'll, I'll i'll read a page and i'll have like i tried to read i i did read it but like a brief history of time by stephen hawking 
but half of the time I was just like, I am the dumbest person that has ever lived. Cause I don't, I didn't understand anything on the page, you know? Um, and that, that always, that always bothered me. So I'm still going to the VA at the time, still kind of struggling, trying to get help, um, dealing with the misdiagnosis. And then when I got into anthropology, I decided I'm going to use this to study my brain as if it's its own culture, mm. you know, um, look into why it does what it does, um, what has affected that from my past, almost sort of like the cultural traditions um, that I've built up over time that are just those habitual thought patterns, habitual behavioral patterns, things like that. And I went into a, um, a theories class once, which was horrifically boring because it's basically, you know, most anthropology came from, you know, you know, uh, England, you know, Britain. Um, and it was just old white dudes, you know, saying that we're better than women. Like they actually did a study once where they proved that men are smarter than women. So they took the skull of a man and the skull of a woman and they filled it with beans. And they said, see, the skull of the man holds more beans than the skull of the woman. So therefore we have a bigger like brain capacity. But what they didn't say is that they put like little tiny like beans in, in this one. And then in the in the skull of the woman, they put like these gigantic like fava beans or something, you know? So of course there's not going to be as many beans in that, you know, but they, it's what they used, you know, and that's what they, that was the justification for women are to be in the home, um, subservient to men, not making decisions, all, all that sort of stuff. So it, it kind of came out of that sort of um, system of thought, you know, even manifest destiny came out of that, you know, um, you know, anybody that doesn't have the, the same cultural, levels that we did you know like one god monotheism a, a government you know then they're savages you know they i think they started with like savages barbarianism and then um you know us you know white people um which was civilized civilized you know right so there was a guy named victor turner who studied rites of passage and there was this model um I, I wish I, I got to build something so I could have like graphics of this stuff one day, but it, it, it sort of, it just looks like a line that goes up a line that goes across and then kind of comes down. Right. So the, the idea of it, there's three phases, there's separation, there's transition and then reincorporation. Right. So you separate from all cultural norms at a certain point, you transition where you're not yet what you're going to be, but you're no longer what you were. And then you reincorporate back into your culture, but like at a higher level of responsibility. And I realized that with the military, it wasn't, you don't reincorporate back into your um, culture. It, it's, it's, it's a cultural shift that happens. Mm. And, and with that, I start, I started to see that it was all about identity, you mm. know, um, that when we get out, we have um, the military identity, um, it, but in the civilian world. And so we're, we're stuck in that transitional phase where I'm not yet still, I'm still no longer a civilian, but I'm no longer a soldier. So what the hell am I? You know, um, you lose sense of purpose and the, and, and the research is starting to show that it's, you know, it's a, it's a loss of culture when you leave the military. 
and that was is what that little tiny tiny drawing is what sparked all of my healing mm. you know i saw that as a way of like okay well there needs to be a, a new training you know, because you need to take that military identity and bring it back down into this, into a, into a civilian identity or an identity that holds the best of both worlds so that you can operate and feel at home and comfortable in the civilian world. And so I, I interviewed a lot of veterans and I started seeing that they're, they're all dealing with the same thing, you know, not, not just with PTSD, with, um, and luckily I don't have, um, nightmares. Um, every once in a while I'll, I'll have them, but it's nothing from, you know, when I was deployed, it's more of, I lose all control. Like something else has control over me. I used to, used to be about Sandy a lot, like where she's leaving me and I'm begging her to stay. And, and she's just like the coldest, hurt she's like whatever dude you suck you're nothing you know and and i i you know you wake up like crying and stuff you know because you're feeling all that stuff but um but all this stuff that these these guys and these women deal with you know it was it was all the same and then with the va it was also the same where everybody was struggling with it you yeah. know um i remember a day where i was outside of a, a psychology class i was taking and there was a guy that I that I met at school and he was a vet and he had um, um, constant headaches, which is something that a lot of guys from Iraq and Afghanistan deal with. And um, they did all kinds of tests. And they can't figure out what's going on with it. Um, and he he was getting disability pay from the from the VA for, for the headaches. They were debilitating. And um, just out of the blue, one day he got a letter saying. Basically, we no longer believe you. We're taking away your disability payment. You'll have to reapply. And then I then I heard like six, seven other stories of the same thing happening to people just out of the blue. We're taking away your disability. You're going to have to reapply. And to go through that process yep. is so even even though I'm being seen at like a, a couple of weeks ago, I was there, you know, being seen for PTSD the the VA does not recognize me as having PTSD. So I I have I, I'm being seen from the doctor who's treating me for PTSD, but in order for the VA to consider it, I have to go through another the process that I got, I went through to be able to start being seen for PTSD. I have to go through that again. Yeah. A three-day battery of tests. Um you know, or, you know, like all these questions and, and it's the same question asked 20 different times and all this stuff. And with the VA, you got to be very, very, very careful what you say, because if I make any type of inclination that I'm thinking of, um, you know, I've had thoughts of harming myself or somebody else, that's it. They, they lock me down. They will not allow me to leave. Um, I even know somebody who she went to the VA to get some help. And their friend told the nurse, she said, um, like, sometimes I feel like just dying, which she did say to her. She goes, but I didn't, I didn't mean it. I just meant like, I'm tired of this. I'm sick of this. Yeah. She was in a psych ward for three days because of what her friend said to the nurse. That's so, scary. Yeah. The, the whole, the whole goal for the VA is just, is cover your ass. You yeah. know, the, it doesn't matter the harm that it's going to do to you. 
It doesn't matter the truth of anything. It just matters if this is what we think you're you're kind of alluding to, you're done. You're locked down. Right. Um, and it's gotten to the point where like I even see it on some of the um uh, social media things that I follow, like memes where you know, it's, it's like the, the VA therapist, I don't feel like you're being truthful with me. Why is that? And then the vet, you know, because if I told you what I was actually thinking, you would, you would commit me, you know, so you can't, you can't talk about what is going on with you because of fear of, I might not be able to talk to my family again. They, they'll have no idea where I am. I might lose my job, all, all this stuff, just so that they make sure that, and that they can say, I did everything I could do so that you didn't kill yourself. Right. You know, even if you go out after your release and do it, well, we did all we could do. So you guys can't sue us. Yep. Um, and, and so I just decided like, I'm, I'm finding my own way out of this thing. And yeah. I started um, really looking at my brain, like I said, as my own culture. And, and, and as I was doing my research, I had no idea how to walk back down from that from that military identity um i didn't really at the time see it as an identity shift but um i was just kind of lost like i got to that point and then if you asked me well how do we fix this i'd say i, I don't know you know um yeah. and that's when coaching came into my life yeah so um i think i might have talked about like on the on the other um part of this i i thought coaching was the biggest scam um i thought it was you know, just a bunch of people who go through like a trauma competition type thing, like because of what I've been through, I can help everybody because nobody's been through what I've been through, you know, that type of stuff. Then, then on top of that, like Tony Robbins, like, I mean, this dude was the biggest joke, you know, a billionaire based off of just telling a bunch of wishful people, a bunch of stupid cliches, and then they pay him thousands of dollars for that. And I'm like, this is ridiculous, you know? And of course, the whole time I'm angry, full of rage, running people off the road, going after people, you know, um, all kinds of stuff, you know? Um, and my professor going up into like the senior thesis, my professor told me like, you know, you need to look at all dimensions, um, even stuff you don't agree with, so that you can talk about that stuff in your paper and 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 show that. So I started looking into it um, and I started practicing some of the strategies that coaching offers for like anxiety and depression. And there was a time like I, I went through this, this little thing of visualization and I started having an anxiety attack and, and it was done in like 30 seconds. Yeah. And I was yeah, like- Yeah, I wonder- I want to just pause you for a second because I think what you said was really brilliant and I, I just want to recap it. So there's the you and then there's the culture of what I would call your operating system and making that separation, I would say is sort of the first step. Like if a client comes to me, right? If you think you are your anxiety or you are your belief system or your thoughts or whatever, there's no movement there, right? So you got to separate that. And I would say people who dive into spirituality, they're investigating this question. What is that you, right? Whether you call it authenticity, higher self, whatever it is. And then you have your operating system, which is like, not only my beliefs from my childhood, my beliefs from the military, you know, how 
how I think the world works, how I think religion operates, what I think the purpose is, all of that. But it's also my chemical structure, right? Do I have enough dopamine? Do I have enough serotonin? How is my body operate? That's all your operating system. Right. And when you merge those two things together, the you and the operating system, that becomes your identity, right? And that's really you describing the process of coaching, right? Coaching is like looking at that operating system, helping someone find their core authenticity, and then aligning these things so that they can live a life that feels good. So I just, like you just described coaching so well that I wanted to recap it before you went into examples, because um, it's a powerful process and it works. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so. Yeah. So now you can share your stories, right? So you used a process on your operating system, which stopped the anxiety attack. Brilliant. Yeah. And, and, and that's when I started to, I'm like, all right, let me, let me study this a little bit more. And I started doing more things and, and, and like, everything is like, you know, gratitude, focus, um, the language we use in our head. And I'm like, come on, how, how is me being like, stop being a bitch. How is that like making me worse? You know, like <laughs> it's true. I'm just being a bitch. Like I got to stop, you know? And then, then I started learning about all this stuff and I'm like, Oh my God, like it, it, it is, it's, it's what we do. The language we use is, is, is like the, the programming code we put yep. into the biological computer, which is our brain, you know, and then it runs accordingly. You know, uh, who I think it was Martin Seligman who came up with learned helplessness, you know, and, and I, I hate this dude because he did it with dogs and I have a running list of people that I would rather do this, not <laughs> like an enemy, my enemies <laughs> list, but he put dogs in, in electrified cages, um, and left the doors open so that when he, when they turned on the juice and the dogs felt the shock, they could escape. But then what they did is they locked the cages. So they turned, they shocked the dogs and the dogs were freaking out, trying to get out. And eventually when they realized that they couldn't escape, they literally just laid down in the cage and accepted the pain as their reality. Yes. And then the craziest thing is when they reopened the cages, they, they did it. They brought in another group of dogs and all the cage doors were open and they turned on the juice. The dogs that was the, was the first shock for them escaped. The dogs that had learned they there is no escape from their pain continued to lie there and take it, even though the door was open. And that's how we get as people. And that's something that, which is funny because it's a psychological thing. And, and Martin, Martin Seligman, I believe was a psychologist, but uh, or a researcher. And But I had never heard anything like that before. And then coaching is explaining this to me that we can go through so much where we end up sort of making our trauma, making our problems. I, I am like the, at the core of who I am, there's something wrong with me. And that's why I feel this way. You know, um, I even talked to somebody, uh, an older guy who never like, I, it was family friend and stuff. And, and he never believed in any, any psychological stuff. You know, he was like, this is all crap. This is, you know, whatever. Didn't believe in Pete. I mean, told me outright, I don't have PTSD because there is nothing um, that, that, that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And years later, um, 
he he starts having some issues, you know, he's getting older and he's sort of struggling with that transition in life. And now he's of the belief that there are some people that are born without the capacity to feel happy, you know, almost like you're born without an arm or a limb or something like that. He, and, and of course he's one of these people, he was born without the capacity to be happy. And I'm like scratching my head. I'm like, I've known you for a long time. I've seen you laugh so hard. You're crying. You know, I've seen you enjoy parties and, and all kinds of stuff. So do you mean like you can only feel happy for a couple of moments? And that, I mean, cause that's a focus issue, not, not a brain issue, right? you know? Um, so yeah, that learned helplessness gets so deep. And I had built that up over like 20 years, you know, where, um, in fact, I even wrote, um, a story called damaged. Um, and I won a, um, not, not why I placed in the top five of a national writing, uh, competition for, for universities. And, um, and it was just all, and it's all about how I'm damaged. You know, that was the entire, I'm, I'm a broken person, you know, um, it's, and it's funny looking back on that, seeing how different I am, you know, now. So then I, then I decided like, I'm going to get into, I'm going to take some coaching courses um, specifically to, to learn more about myself and work on myself. And the, the, the first core, it was a hundred hour course. It was called core 100, hundred hours. Right. So if I went like all in, I can finish this in like what, two weeks, you know, like if I just did this all day, it took me five years to get through this course. Wow. Because I decided like, I'm not moving on until I master this level. And then I'll go to the next level and the next level. And, and it, I would try it. I would fail. I'd be like, see, this is all bullshit. Doesn't work. Um, and then something would bring me back to it. I would try it again. I would fail. It's all bullshit. Doesn't work. Something will bring me back to it. And then after a time, like just something just clicked. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not as angry. And the weird thing was, is I wasn't working on my anger problem. You know, like that was one of the things I learned is, you know, in the DSM manual, it, which ironically, one of the authors of it, uh, uh, Bessel van der Kolk, said of the DSM manual um, in, in the third edition, they put a little like uh, preface in the front that said, this is not to be used for diagnostic um, like standards. It, it was to be a guide, like where if you see these patterns, this is what it might be. Although today it's used to diagnose, you know, which is against everything that it was created for. So I'm looking at PTSD in the, in the, diag uh, in the DSM manual and it hit me one day that if most people that have PTSD do these things, is this a disorder or is this the way the brain naturally works? Mm. And I'm like, okay, so if my brain is doing this because I had this trauma and now I'm doing, you know, seven of these like 11 things, that means my brain is working exactly the way it's supposed to work. It might be a little like off. It's not helping me, but it's working exactly the way it's supposed to work. You know, like if you put food in the oven and then you, and you just never stop cooking it, you know, it's going to burn. That's the nature of it, you know? So this is the nature of my head with trauma. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, 
perfect. I'm not broken. Yes. I'm working perfectly. I just need a tune-up. Yeah. You know, like that stuff, the things that we learn to do when we're in that survival mode are for survival. Yep. And then when we when we kind of process out of that, we still carry those same behaviors, same thought patterns, same language patterns. The, the problem is they just no longer serve us. You know, so now I'm free of anxiety and, and stuff like that, but I'm still completely anxious because I still have the thought patterns and language patterns that I needed back when I was in survival mode. I just don't need them anymore. Yep. And I thought to myself, so it's just a matter of practice. You know, I got into that mode through practice and stayed in that mode because I was practicing it every day. Now I just need to practice something else. And I realized like, I didn't have an anger problem. I had a mastery of anger because I practiced it every freaking day, yep. you know? So without ever working on my anger, I just started practicing peace and, and, and joy and gratitude. I, I can't say enough about gratitude is magical, you know? Yeah. Uh, and the scales, just like my anger's here and my peace is here. And the more I practice my peace, the scales went like that, you know? But I remember when me and Sandy um, were going through like our whole like separation and divorce, there was a couple of incidents. We had to go to anger management classes where they're teaching you to manage anger. Why would you want to manage anger? Right. I would much rather- more focus on it, right? Yeah, I would much rather manage peace and and, yeah. and and being calm and contentment and joy and you you know so I just dumped all of that stuff and said I'm gonna I'm gonna try this and see what happens and it was miraculous. Yeah, yeah, and I love how you said before it's like putting the code into a computer. That's how it is with your brain, and you have to be aware of the you right? So you started programming your brain differently and it took time and it took effort and it didn't happen all at once. <laughs> and right. that's the process. And I think that's also where a lot of people give up is they go, well, I've been trying to do this for a long time and I still have anxious thoughts or I still have angry thoughts. And you're like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, how, and, and how much more disconnected are you from those thoughts? so that you're able to practice peace in that moment, right? It's a choice. Right. Yeah. And that I think that's the danger of it. When we turn natural um, emotions into disorders, Yeah. then anytime I feel it, something's wrong with me. Yeah. It's like, no, a anger is an incredible- Totally appropriate sometimes. Yep. Oh my God, yeah. Um, anxiety is, is a gift. Yep. You know, depression, sadness, being able to grieve. Like, I mean, that is a gift that we, that we have. It's not a disorder. The problem is, is when we get stuck in that, you mm -hmm. know, um, but that doesn't come from something broken in my brain that comes from focus and language. 
Yeah. You know, what I'm always looking at, what the words I'm using in my head, how I'm talking to myself, even how I hold my body. I mean, they, 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 they know now the brain body connection. If I have a thought or something, it's going to signal this or give a chemical release. I'm going to feel it in my body. When I feel it in my body, it signals back to my brain. This is what I'm feeling. And my brain's like, oh, okay, this is what you're feeling. Here's a more of it. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. They, know, they know this happens. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen this research, I'll send it to you, but they say that the physical effects of an emotion last 60 seconds. So someone cuts you off and you go anger. And by the time 60 seconds go by, that flood of chemicals is pretty much done. But what we do is we go, I can't believe that guy cut me off. Second one, I still can't believe it. And then you start thinking about it. And pretty soon this emotion is lasting an hour, a day, because it's being fed and fed and fed. And then I think that that feeding of our traumas goes on autopilot, like you talked about in the beginning. And we don't even know that it's our identity and our story, but we're just slowly feeding it in the background of our minds all the time. And so it keeps releasing those chemicals and we stay in that cycle. It's amazing, really, when you think about it, it's incredible. Yeah. And, and it's, I, I love, cause like you just described like the science behind one of the dumbass cliches that I always thought like, Oh, this is what coaching does. You know, where focus goes, energy flows, you know? And I'm like, that's so freaking stupid. You know? And now on this side, I'm like, Oh, cause that's what I'm feeding. Like my, I'm, I'm feeding my anxiety I'm feeding my anger by constantly thinking about it. And I, I used to do this thing so many times. I, I, like, do you ever like almost like replay an event in your life, but act out a different, like, I would have said this, I would have said this, I would have, you know, but you didn't, you know, in the moment. <laughs> and and this is doing nothing except pissing you off. Yep. You know, and, and now it's, it's completely different. You know, I still struggle. I'll go through, I call them like my depression, depressive cycles, like where I'll be working, but I see it more now as like a need for rest. You know, so I'll work, 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 and then I'll just hit a wall and I'll, I'll just get so tired that I'll, I'll almost sleep for a day, you know, mm-hmm. like where I'll get up, do a couple things like, all right, got to take a nap, get up, do a couple things, got to take a nap, you know? Um, and, and then a day later, I'm, I feel great, yeah. you know, and I, then I started learning like how we can use our bodies to signal to the brain different ways of feeling. You know, um, how exercise is one of the most underused antidepressants out there. Yeah. The foods that we eat, you know, I mean, we have millions of microorganisms that live within us. Like we, we're not alone in our lives, you know, like we, we operate with all these other bacteria that will affect how we feel. I mean, the majority of the serotonin that our body creates is created in our stomach. And when we put all this processed food on that, that has no nutritional value, but that has all these carcinogens, we destroy the bacteria that makes us feel good. Yeah. You know? And, and I'm like, no, no, I don't, I just, just pill. I want a pill. Like give, give me a pill and that that's it. That'll, that'll fix it. But the pills don't do that. They they numb our emotions, but it doesn't choose which emotion to numb. It right. just numbs us across the board, you know? Um, and I would so- say that even with the physical stuff, the stronger that 
your um, association with you is versus your association with your operating system or your thoughts, the more that you can care for yourself, right? And you go, okay, body, I'm going to give you a walk today. Okay, body, I'm going to give you some broccoli today. Even if your brain's going like, I hate broccoli, I don't want to walk. You are powerful enough that you can take care of the rest of yourself, your thoughts, your body, your emotions. And that's why developing that strong you, right, is so important because ultimately that's what's choosing and running the show of all this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and this was the greatest, the greatest realization that I came to was as, as I started reading all this stuff, I, I ended up getting out of church um, you know, with that, because that was my answer, you know, and I think we talked about that, like it was a secret sin, all this stuff. Right. So I ended up leaving, leaving the church, but I, I ended up feeling closer to God afterward, you know? Um, and now even when I look at all this stuff that I know from, from the Bible, I'm like, I feel like I fit more of the definition of a Christian um, now than I ever did. And I'll even have Christians like go off on me. I, I put one thing up about this, like I think on TikTok and somebody like went off on me about how you just weren't really saved in the first place and stuff. I mean, they were pissed, you know? And then here I am, of course, the wicked sinner in their eyes. And I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I love you, man. Thank, thanks for commenting on this. Thanks for allowing me to explain it a little bit deeper. You know, so the Christian, the one that has God's love, the one that has a secure eternity in heaven is pissed at me. And then here I am, the one going to hell, giving them love. Yep. I'm like, do you not see that that it's kind of backwards, you know? Um, <laughs> but the greatest realization I came to is, is I heard this, this saying, like, we are not that which we can observe. Mm, yeah. So, you know, I can observe this room, you know, this pen. So I'm not that I can observe my body. So I'm not my body and I can observe my thoughts. So I'm not the, my thoughts. So who the hell am I? You know, and that brought me into consciousness Yeah. and how consciousness is this thing that nobody understands. Scientists don't know where it is in the brain, what causes it, where it comes from, nothing. We just know it's there. Yeah. You know, and, and consciousness is, is the observer of, of our thoughts. And I was convinced for the longest time that the thoughts in my head were truth, were real. And then I'm learning that the brain has a negativity bias because it helped us evolve. It helped us stay around as like a species because we were a prey species for most of our existence. You know, so anxiety helped us and negativity helped us survive. And now I'm this observer of these things. So I'm like, wait, these things aren't real. They're not true. So when the thought comes and it's like, hey, you fat ass, you know, like that's not real. And 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 I'm like, no, it's not, you know. Um, and that's when everything changed for me. You know, I started practicing gratitude doing things that I even now I, I get like a little embarrassed talking about because it's sometimes it's just like weird, but even just watching a show, I think I mentioned this, like an actress on a show I was watching, I'm just like so grateful for the entertainment that she's like provided for me, you know, especially because she got into Star Wars and there's just nothing greater on this earth than Star Wars. Um, 
and I'm I'm feeling great. Like even even in a neuros uh, a book I read um, uh, about it was called Buddha's Brain: The Neuroscience of Happiness, Wisdom, and and Contentment, something like that. But they gave like this five step gratitude practice. So you practice every day gratitude um, for something that you see, something beautiful, something you experience. It's great for for people you love, for people that you know, for yourself, and then for people you can't stand. Like practice gratitude for those people and see what happens. And I remember the funniest thing, me and Sandy got into an argument and everything clicked into place for me. Um, And in my head, I'm like, she's going to be so happy. Like I finally got to this point where I'm going to give her what she wants. It was the one of the worst arguments we had in years because she was like going off. She's like, what the hell are you doing to me? You're fucking with my mind. Like, I mean, she was losing it. I was like ready to call an ambulance to have her committed, you know? And, and ironically, one of the um, coaching in one of the um, classes, like it said, like we, we, we communicate verbally and non-verbally and, you know, we don't think about the non-verbal communication as, as, as people learning, that's how we communicate. So now I was, I was communicating with her in a different way. because I was being kind and loving and understanding. And that wasn't normally the way I communicated with her. You know, it was more of like the anger and and the blame and all that stuff. So it threw her off completely. And she thought I was messing with her. She thought I was like trying to make her feel like she was going insane. So I, I left. Um, I was like, listen, let's just take a little bit. I'm going to go for a ride. You know, I came back an hour later. She's like, I don't know what happened. I'm sorry. And I'm like, no, I get it. I get it. Like, I've never treated you like this. So now this is foreign to you and you don't know what to do with it. You know? Um, And And I think that's a beautiful thing to just recognize also is that when we change, our environment and the people around us has to change. So a lot of times when clients come to me, they're waiting for someone to be different so that they can feel what they want to feel or have what they want to have. And the truth is we're all interconnected, right? So if I show up as a new identity, that's going to mean you're going to have to get a new identity. And that's scary for you. And I have to have compassion and I have to hold you softly while you work on your identity. And that's a process. And I think sometimes coaching or coaches don't talk about that enough. Like, yeah, it might get a little uglier before it gets better because here's what's actually happening, right? We're in it for the journey (laughs) and you're going to have, you're going to have to change and that's going to be hard. And then the other person's going to have to change and that's going to be hard. And then you're both going to be new versions of yourself. Yeah. And it's kind of like the thing that sucks is like both physically and mentally, like when we get hurt, there's pain. Yep. And then when we heal, there's pain. Yep. Yep. So we have to go, like when I had my hip replacement before I was in constant pain, after the surgery, I was in a hell of a lot of pain, you know? Um, So like you, like you said, like when we're changing that thing, there's going to be that, that ugly kind of swampy thing that we got to work through until like we come out and there's like, we're on the beach and the ocean and everything is picturesque, you know? Um, but it's going to, it's going to take some, some pain. It's going to take some, um, adjustment, um, and some understanding, you know, on, on all, all parts, you know, and it's going to affect everybody. Yep. Um, 
and there's there's even some people that aren't going to be able to handle it yep you know um and so so you you walk away you know or, or i mean i don't want to just say that but like i mean but you you do what you got to do set up setting up boundaries and be like but this is who i am now mm-hmm. you know um so i i right towards the end last time we talked um i, I mentioned I had, I had gone back to the va so my doctor wanted me to get on psilocybin, um, which like I said before, like, I just love my doctor for, especially for this. So I'm like, all right, you're telling me to do you're, you're, you're like an actual MD telling me to do mushrooms. Gotcha. Like I will comply with that in a heartbeat. Um, so I went back to the VA to try to find a study. Cause I had never bought stuff like off the street or anything like that. Like I had no, I, I didn't even know who to go to. And, um, and the VA just was like, yeah, no, we ain't, we ain't doing that. Um, and I'm like, well, do you guys do studies with this? They're like, no, that's that's Yale that does studies, you know, because so in Connecticut, um, um, the the biggest VA hospital is in West Haven, which is like right down the street from Yale New Haven Hospital. So they do a lot of different studies. They'll, they'll take a lot of participants from them. So I'm like, all right, well, how do I get into one of those studies? They were like, no, like they, it was... I can't imagine that they didn't know how, Yeah, but they weren't going to say anything. You know, the VA spends a massive sum of money on pharmaceuticals every year. Um, even, even in one, I think they spent 75 billion a year on Prozac and Prozac has been um, studied and found to be as effective as a placebo for PTSD. But even with that study, the VA still gives it. Um, like when I first started, they like they had prolonged exposure therapy and they said it was the greatest therapy that they offered. And I read like a thing, like they said, we if we have 10 people that that are in, in a prolonged exposure study, um, eight will drop out, two will finish and be good. So the two that finish 100%, and I'm like, what is, you know, and I'm like, how, how I'm, I'm, I'm like, now I'm like in my forties and I'm like, I'm just going to college, you know, cause I was so horrible at school when I was a kid. How am I seeing that this doesn't make any sense, but you have doctors that have been in school since they were five that are saying this makes perfect sense. You know, I, I went through CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy and they did studies on that, that, that show that it, it's, it, it doesn't work, you know? So I would have to fill out little questionnaires. Um, you know, I would get pissed. I remember when I was going to school, there was a kid riding a skateboard right down the middle of the street. And it was just like one of those things where he was just like, no, one's going to hit me. I know right. everyone's going to swerve out of my way. And I'm like, dude, you did not know I was going to be driving down the street today because I'm like, I'm going to hit you. And then I'm going to be like, I just froze. I didn't know what happened. I just got so scared. And then I just ran them over, you know, and, and, um, but I didn't, but those are the thoughts going through my head. I want to hit this kid just to show him he is a bitch. Um, and I would then have to fill out paperwork and, and like write that my thoughts. And then I would have to check a box. Was this a good thought or a bad thought? Okay. This is a bad thought. What would be a better (laughs) thought? Um, the, the kid needs to show off because he feels like he's nothing inside. Right. 
But the, the thing was, is there was no practice in the moment. That's why when people, you can go to anger management for your entire life, but if you're not practicing managing your anger, practicing your peace, practicing staying calm, the next time you're in those situations and fight or flight, the survival mode kicks in, you're, you're, you're moving, you're operating, you're, you're in action before your prefrontal cortex even knows what the hell you're doing. And that's the seat of awareness. That's the seat that says, whoa, 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 back easy, easy. It's not that big of a deal, but we're already in motion. So this, and I don't know how many times I would be losing my mind on my kids, on Sandy, on somebody. And in my head, I'm, I'm screaming at myself, shut up, shut up, shut up, stop, stop, leave, leave, leave. And I can't. You know, I'm I'm on auto, like in a way I'm out of control, but I am so in control that I can't stop this, you know, but it felt like I was possessed, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, so you have to practice it. Mm -hmm. Just like when I had my hip replacement, they said, you need to walk. Yep. And it hurt walking, but I had to do it, yeah. you know? Um, and just like, just like with this stuff, it hurt holding back my anger, but I had to yeah. practice that piece. Yeah. I would say my experience is practice. Absolutely. And also self-care because what I noticed is I did a lot of growth in my life and I'll use an example of fighting with my husband. Like, you know, when your reptile brain gets triggered and then you're like, you know, give the greatest oh. speech you're ever going to regret. Right? <laughs> yeah. And so there came a point when I realized, oh, this, I don't want to operate from this place. We never get to greater love and understanding when I'm in this place. When I feel that I'm going to walk away. Right. We did that. Then I went under a couple of really stressful years where I didn't take care of myself. I was burnt out and I started just responding from that place again. And like you're saying in my head, I'm like, walk away, Mindy, you know, this, what are you doing? But outside I'm getting defensive and I'm doing all these things. And so it's not only what you know and what you practice, but it's making sure that your overall wellness is at a level that you can have the capacity to change your thoughts and change your actions and practice something new because if you're running yourself ragged, you will not have the ability to practice peace. Yes. Yes. That I, yes, that is so important. Yep. And I think that's another thing I, I, I see a lot when clients come to me and they're struggling with something and they want to work on it. And I'm like, whoa, first we got to go over here and you've got to work on your self-care and like lower your like uh, nervous system response then we can start practicing over here. Cause right now you don't have the capacity to practice something different, right? Yeah. So you've got to go back to the self-care. So yeah, it's a, it's a complex nuanced package. And that's why coaching is so important because a coach can say, okay, no, wait, let's go over here and do this. Okay. Now we're going to go over here and help guide that path because you can't see it when you're inside your own head. Right. Yeah. What's that saying? You can't see the forest through the trees, you know, yeah. like, it's like being in it, like, like once I was just thinking like, I'm in my house and I'm like, but I've never seen my house. I've never seen my house like in, in total. Cause I'm, I'm in this room. So I can't see the other rooms and I can't see the outside. If I'm outside, I can't see the rooms. 
you know, so sometimes you just got to spend time in different places. And we almost like kind of breaking things up into, into like characters, categories, or different rooms in your head. Like this is my pistol. This is my rage room. You know, this is where I'm breaking plates in my head and doing like throwing axes or doing some cool stuff or beating people up on my enemies list, you know, um, or shocking them like the dogs, you know. Um, but and, and when you do that, you you can you can kind of work at things, you know. I I I sucked at math. Like when I was when I was in high school, I failed. In fact, when I went to college, my first math class, the first day of class, he would write a number on the board, 100. And be like, how would we write that in words? And I'm like, I am so stupid. Uh, this is my first class. So I'll, you'd have to go up the board 100 and spell it out. And I'm like, this is, I did this in like third grade and I got to do it again. But as, I, I fell in love with math, you know, afterwards. And I was like getting up into like pre-calculus before I hit a brick wall again. And I'm like, the, the thing with equations is, is if you look at the whole of it, you're like, what the fuck? you know, but if you like break it down and be like, I know what to do with that. Yeah. Do it. And then look at it again, like, okay, now I know what to do with this. Okay. Well then do that. And then pretty soon you're, you're dealing with it in sections. And then you have the whole, I used to love like doing my math homework. I would have a sheet of paper. One equation would take up the entire sheet. And I would love that. Like even today, like I'm, I, I, I'm always thinking of like, I'm going to get a calculus textbook. I'm just going to buy it and just teach myself. Like, I don't know why I just love that stuff, you know? Um, and that's the other thing too, when we're constantly in that survival mode and we're so burnt out, like you were talking about part, the parts of our mind that shut down are creativity, um, that, that, um, which is a major part. So how can you think of other things to do, you know? So the only thing I could think of doing was just lying in bed and going to sleep to shut off the pain that I felt. And now I, I want to get a, a calculus textbook and sit down at my table and do math for no reason at all for hours. Right. Yeah. You know, it opens me up and opens us up into different places. You know, so when I went back to the VA, they did another PTSD assessment on me. And 80 is the highest score you can get. And my first one, I scored 74 out of 80. And that was with them saying, I don't have PTSD. I'm bipolar. I'm all this other stuff. Then I take this test and, and like, nope, you have severe PTSD. Um, and ironically, even with that, they still don't consider me as having PTSD because I have to do that all again. Um, and I tried to go through that process and I was, I can't, I, I can't, I can't do it. It was like, I started feeling disgusting again. Um, and what, but when I went back and they did this, this other uh, little quick PTSD assessment, I had dropped my score by 36 points and that was with no medication and no therapy. It was strictly with practicing the stuff that I learned in coaching. Um, changing my focus. Cause after Bosnia seeing that genocide, I had a belief system that human beings were parasites, mm. you know, that we feed off each other when we're done, we throw each other away. And I still, I still believe there are people that act like that, but I also believe it's a choice, you know, and, and it's, it's not just like, I'm going to choose to be this person, but it's built by experiences. It's built like how you grew up, what you learned from your parents, teachers, stuff like that. And then also like just choosing who you want to be as a person, like all of it deals with that. But now I see human beings as divine 
like divine creatures, you know? Um, one of the first things I learned that there are 10 to the 80th power of atoms in the universe, estimated by physicists, right? So that makes up everything. The computers we're on, our bodies, everything, including the most distant stars in the galaxy. So one with 80 zeros after. The possible neural connections in our brain are 10 to the millionth power. It's a one with a million zeros. And I tried to, I, I wanted to see that physically. And I, so I printed out 80 zeros on a paper. And it was like a line and a half. And then I printed off a million zeros and it took up an entire ream of paper. And I got in trouble because the printer ran out of ink. And I'm looking at this stack of paper of like 325 sheets or something that have zeros from top to bottom. And I'm still not at yet a million with compared to this one sheet. And I'm like, I'm a God. In my head, in my mind, my consciousness, the observer of who I am, I'm a God. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm connected with all this stuff in the universe. Like the fact that all the atoms in my body come from distant stars that exploded millions of years ago and then formed me. How that, I don't know how that happened, but... I am, I am quite literally a star, Yeah, you know, like how bad can shit get? Yeah, you know, Like, it's just amazing. And then the more I started learning about that, then learning about the mycelium network, you know, that, that, like that, that nature has consciousness that we get to um, sometimes choose plants or mushrooms that allow us to connect into the consciousness of the entire fucking planet. Oh my God. You know, like I, I can't, I, I feel inadequate to express the, the, um, the bliss yes. that I feel from that. Yes. You know, yeah. and now I can just go outside and look at the, look at the sky and know that it's this thin layer of atmosphere and then empty space, you know, and, but even in the empty space, it's not really empty that even the atoms of my body are 99.999% empty, but the entire thing is pure energy. Like how bad can shit be? Yeah. Miracles. Yeah. What I love about that is you showed so well how you feel your own beliefs. So when you feel like, oh, humans are parasites and they do bad things to each other and they just, that heaviness and that energy, you're the one experiencing that, not anybody else. Like, yes, you might be also, you know, living through that filter. And then when you believe that you are marvelous and wonderful and a piece of a star and you feel that on the inside too, Yes. And I think when I first started this journey, I had sort of that skeptic brain that was like, that's a bunch of bullshit. Oh, I'm a star. I'm a star. <laughs> right? Yeah. And then somebody said to me, Mindy, if it makes you feel that much better to believe it, why does it matter if it's true or not true? And I sat with that question because I really wanted to prove them wrong, <laughs> that the right. truth, my truth mattered and people were really this way. And I could not come up with a good argument for believing something that made me feel bad. Why, why do we do that? Right. 
when we can choose something else that feels better. And that's yes. so powerful. And, 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 you know, it, it is a very, it's a difficult thing to do. Um, especially when I, I believe we live in a society that needs us to believe that we are broken and that we are small, maybe is a better, not necessarily broken, but we are small, Yep. you know, because we're, they need us to be uh, like, like, I think we were talking about before, like a cog in a machine, you know, a part of this sort of societal Amazon complex. And we're all just part of the assembly line. Um, And, and coming out of that and beginning to see the world, I don't know how many times I've watched the show's Cosmos with Neil deGrasse Tyson and I'll, I'll smoke, I'll smoke, I'll use some cannabis and I'll watch it. And he was talking about like these two stars that, that were um, in this gravitational, um, uh, sorry, my mind sometimes like shuts off because it goes like in so many different places, but they're like connected like with grab, right? And they're close enough where they pull gas off each other. So they're sort of like, shaped like an egg, you know, and they're spinning around each other and the gas stretches out and then touches. And when it did it, like ignited these things on fire. And there is an 800 million mile long bridge of fire that connects these stars, you know, but one of the first things that we, that we learn as children, we get to school is to shut down our imagination. You know, now it's time to learn facts. You know, imagination is uh, that that that's for the playground and that's only a small part of your day. And then, of course, then you get to that, you know, whatever middle school or something where there is no more recess. So there is no more time for imagination, you know, Um, but then then you see like people like Einstein talking about how imagination is one of the most important things. And I'm like, why are they teaching us not to have imagination? But some of the smartest people on this planet are saying imagination is what makes them who they are. Yeah. There's a disconnect there, you know, and, and I've realized, I mean, even just recently facts don't matter. Belief matters. You know, you could take somebody just like, like when I left church and stuff and I can bring up all the stuff that I see and stuff, you know, but whenever I give facts to them that, that, that I've seen for myself, they double down and this guy, Sadhguru, he writes about like a, a belief system is a box. And when we, when we believe a certain system, we have to believe what's in the box from the beginning to the end. And we can't believe anything outside that. And whenever you, you present somebody with something that's outside that box, he said, no matter how much sense it makes, they'll not accept it. They're going to double down on their beliefs, Yeah, you know? Um, and that's why, like, I, I don't like saying, I believe this, like I'm a seeker. Yeah. You know, I, I, I I'm, then I learned like um, through uh, watching some documentaries on, on hallucinogenics and stuff, this term psychonaut, you know, um, a sailor of the mind, a sailor of the conscious, of consciousness. And I'm like, that, that is who I am. I am, I am a, an explorer of consciousness. Um, and that's all I want to be. Yeah. And I think like, I've been thinking about this recently because there's this element that we're talking about right now, daydreaming, right? Being a seeker, being a, that element is where you find those nuggets for like where you're supposed to go and what you're supposed to do. And that's where you find your purpose. And because nobody daydreams, right? We all think that it's a crock of shit to spend time daydreaming. 
a lot of times we don't get there or we experience daydreaming and then people tell us, oh, that's just a pipe dream. Oh, that's unreasonable. Oh, you can't do that. And we shut back down again. Yeah. And, you know, since you and I are both huge fans of plant medicine, I always think, wouldn't it be great to do sessions like coaching sessions that are just like pipe dream sessions? Like, okay, you smoke before your session, I'll smoke. And I'm just going to support you in expanding what you're daydreaming about. So where are we starting? Let's build this picture. Because when I tell clients, build a technicolor vision of your future, like lay there until you can feel it. And you're vibrating with this imagination of who you are in five years. They don't know how to do it. No. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so there has to be some like active teaching. And I've been trying to think like, how could you do that as a coach in real time in a safe place and unlock that creativity to help people get in touch with that piece of it and reaching in and grabbing that vision that they have for themselves. Cause that's powerful stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, even, even psychology and therapy is getting into that, you know, now where they're doing, um, you know, trip sessions, you know, where someone yep. takes some mushrooms or even LSD and, and they go through a, a whole session, you know, um, and I think, I think it would be amazing. And that was one of the things, like when I started my coaching practice, cause like I said before, like, you know, everyone's like, oh, you have this, this need to help people. I'm like, nope, nope. No, I, I, I just, I don't, that doesn't connect with me. Like I don't align with that. And I always feel horrible saying that, but what I align with is being that light, you know, because I was dark for so long and I know the hollowness yeah. and, and the physical pain that comes with this emotional suffering. Um, like Brene Brown talks about like in her, uh, the uh, heart Atlas, you know, like that, the, the same parts of our brain light up when we feel emotional pain that light up when we feel physical pain. So our emotional pain is felt it's real, man. I mean, and, and it's scientific, you know, so the people that are like, I just get over it. Okay. I'm going to take a two by four and break your knee and be like, get over it. Yeah. You know, just get up and walk. Like, I mean, you, you, people do, but they also do a lot more damage. You know, if I remember running like in the army, like people would run or, or we're doing a ruck march and we would, we would get, um, hairline fractures. So you get some pain in your foot and stuff. You don't realize it's a hairline fracture, fracture. You keep going, keep going. Then all of a sudden, boom, that thing breaks. So you do more damage. Wow. You know, you need that time to, to visualize and to, and to allow yourself to heal. And visualization is so powerful even taking the plant medicine out it's, there's been studies that show changes in the brain when you just visualize what you're yeah. doing like, there was one study with people playing the piano they had one group of people that they've never played the piano they practiced on the piano for an hour a day another group did um they did not touch a piano but they would visualize themselves playing as if they're like they would see their hands on the keys and play and then the third group did nothing they just went about their lives and got paid for being in the study. Right. And, and they found the first group created new neural pathways that showed that dealt with like that, that creative aspect of playing the piano. The second group developed the same neural pathways without ever touching a piano. And the third group, they had no change. Yeah. That's just off the power of visualization. Now you take something that is designed to connect us with this higher level of consciousness and you add that into it and you start visualizing where you want to go, who you want to be. 
holy shit, the changes right. that can happen. Yeah, because it's actually starting that process of changing your brain. And then when you combine that with changing your habits and your actions and your, what you're practicing, that's you're on fire, right? Those are the two things. That's yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, I, I went from seeing myself like, I, I'm not where I wanted to be in life. I wanted all of this by this point in my life. And I look and do, I have a small house, man. It's like, I don't know, like a thousand square feet or something like that, you know, but to me, like, this is a mansion. Like I love my house. You know, I am the richest man in the world with nothing, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but it's all from that that focus chain because I'm seeing myself in a different way. And I practice that new sight enough where it's developed a belief system. Yeah. yeah. And that's just now who I believe I am. And that doesn't mean I don't have bad days or don't have, or don't have anxiety and stuff, you know, but I, I can deal with it. Yeah, right. Yeah, so talk a little bit about like how you use all this stuff with your clients now? Do you only see veterans? Do you see other people? Do you see both? How's like your practice growing? What's your dream for your practice? Like go into the now and the future a little bit as far as you as a coach. Um, so I, I see um, everybody. Um, and, and I have a hard time because they always say like, you got to niche down, niche down. I'm like, who, I don't know. Like, I mean, everybody, you know? Um, anybody that feels stuck in in life at some point, because being stuck, it's, it's a place of focus, you know? Um, and in fact, my first client, she was so awesome. Um, she was in college at the time and she had convinced herself that she can't focus enough to get through school. So we were like, okay, well, let's practice. What kind of books do you like reading? She loves horror books. So she's kind of a scary kid, but um, I, I hate like horror stuff, man. It's so, so bad. It scares the crap out of me. But um, so she got a book. You're like 10 minutes, 10 minutes a day until we, until we talk again next week. And um, came back and she's like, I couldn't do it. I'm like, perfect. Yep. She's like, what do you mean? I failed. I'm like, no, you didn't fail. You just gave us information. Yep. 10 minutes was too much, five minutes. So then she did five minutes and like two weeks later, she's like, I read for an hour. Like my, t- my timer went off and I was like, I'm not done yet. Right. And she was going to school, but she didn't want to go to school. Her dream was to become a pilot and, and her parents were kind of off, you know, they were like, no, you can't do that. You got to go to school, get a good job. Um, you know, then if you want to do the pilot thing, you know, almost like the thing, like, you know, put the dreams on the back burner so that you can be secure well i don't know whatever the fear is right and um we worked for together for four weeks we went over um her focus the language she uses her physiology you know in the coaching stuff i do we have this thing called the six human needs right and they're and they're the six things that dictate how we um how we act right so it's certainty um, uncertainty, loving connection, significance. Um, those are our physical needs. And then our spiritual needs, growth and contribution. So depending on how you view those things, and then also how you meet those needs in your life will depend on the quality of your life. So we went over that stuff vaguely. And I'll, I'll never forget, like, we, we called up, 
I, I, I like got on a Zoom call and she was like, um, I was going to call and cancel, but I wanted to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, okay, is everything all right? And she's like, yeah, I've just never felt this good. She said, I think I'm good. And I'm like, dude, my goal is to never speak with you again as fast as I possibly can. Like, I, I always want to be in touch. Like, I want to be a friend, whatever. But like, so that you don't need me. Yeah. And and I, I hadn't heard from her in like a year. And then um, she reached out to me because she was starting pilot school, like yeah. flying school, whatever you call it. And I'm like, I started crying. I'm like, that's that's my thing and i don't consider that helping her i like i considered it like i for, i don't know why i don't like the term holding space you know like i don't i'm like cuz it's just what we're supposed to do for people we're supposed to believe in what people say they want and believe in them with them you know instead of trying to discourage them um and i i felt like i i just i i did that like i believed in her until she caught up and began to believe in herself Yep. You know, and, and, and so I made a deal like, so I, and I don't worry too much like about money, especially cause I'm, I was just starting off at the time. So we, we kind of bargained with it. It was like super cheap. Like I know a lot of coaches like 150 an hour, or like $3,000 for a session, you know, four sessions. I think it was like charging like 30 bucks, you know? Um, but I was like, but when you become a pilot, I want you to bring me someplace. And she's like, I got you. So when, when she called that, when she, when we re, like touch base again, she's like, I've been thinking, like you start thinking about where you want to go. Um, and I'm like, Oh, I got you, you know? Um, and then I, I've done a couple of talks at my college. In fact, in the anthropology department. And in fact, I just did one um, on Tuesday um, talking about like all this stuff. And, and, um, and a kid reached out to me and, you know, student stuff did not have a lot of money. I'm like, I don't care, dude, let, let's, let's get you right, man. And, and his thing is he wants to be an actor and there's just, I don't know, something about him that I'm like, this kid can do it. You know, he, he kind of reminds me of like a young Will Smith. Um, I'm like, this, this kid can do it. And so we made a deal. Like when you're there, when you're getting your Oscar, I will be at the ceremony. <laughs> you know? So he's like, all right, deal, deal. So we just do stuff like that. We have so much fun. I use tons of humor. Um, like Victor Frankl talks about humor can, can make an insurmountable challenge seem more manageable, you know? Yeah. Um, then I've also worked with, with um, two vets. And whenever I work with vets, it's, it's absolutely free. Um, because you know, like one of my, my mottos is never leave a man behind should not stop when our military contract ends. And when you, when we have more veterans dying after the war than we had actually in the war, there's a big problem there, you know, and I don't think that there should be a cost on life. You know, the cost comes when you decide to, to end a life and that cost is unfortunately paid for by your loved ones you know, but, and that's not to shame that, but it's, they're at, at a point of pain where that becomes an out, you know, and how bad do you have to hurt to, to choose that? Um, so, but like the, one of the first ones guys I had, he do is Os Carlos. He actually said this thing, um, um, because he's a gym rat, like all these guys getting out of the military now, like, I don't get it. But um, he's like, when the pain starts, that's when I start working. 
Mm. And I'm like, you dumb son of a bitch should not have said that to me, man. Cause like <laughs> then when things got, he's like, I can't do it. I'm like, dude, you just told me when the pain starts, that's when nope. you start working. So now you're ready to start working. Yep. You know, he couldn't hold down a job. He, he was evicted from all these different places. Um, all this stuff. He's now holding down three jobs. Um, helped his mom get sober, um, moved back in with her and, 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 and me and him just connected. Cause like he, he was dating a girl and it kind of went South and everything. And, and, and he, he was like, I just need it. I'm like, dude, you're not spiraling. You're not. I'm like, when has this ever happened? And he goes, last time anything like this happened to me, I stopped going to work. I stopped taking care of myself. I stopped. He goes, I haven't done any of that. I'm like, dude, this is just showing you how far you've come. And he was like, I knew I called you for a reason, you know, like his, his demeanor completely changed, you know, and I have a hard time looking at where I want to go in the future, because one of the things I still do is compare myself to others. And I'm trying not to do that, but I need more practice. So I see all these people out there that are dealing with veterans and they're people that have been through combat and, and things worse than me. And I'm like, see, what am I going to do? You know, but I want, I want to get to a point where I can share this stuff. I, first off, I want to learn as much as I possibly can about this. You know, I don't ever want to stop learning um, about consciousness and, and exploring and experimenting with myself. And then I want to get to a point where I have the biggest stage possible, however that's going to look, to share this with as many people as I possibly can, yeah. you know, because we don't, sometimes life sucks and it's inevitable, mm -hmm. but we don't have to suffer. Yeah. You know, we have to feel pain. We have to grieve. I read a story in, in Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, and I started just sobbing. I was crying. He was working in a clinic for um, typhoid fever, and there was a woman who was dying, and she she had this little window, and this is in the camps, I think at Auschwitz, um, and there was the smallest bit of a branch of a tree that came into the window that she could see, and there was a flower on it. and um, and so Victor Frankl asked her, he's like, why are you always staring out the window? She's like, I'm talking to my tree. Mm -hmm. And he thought it was a hallucination from the fever and the tie from the typhoid and everything. And he said, does the tree talk back? And she said, yes. And, and he was like, well, what does it say? And she, she said to him, it tells me that as long as I'm here, there is still life and beauty in this world. And I'm like, this is a woman dying from typhoid in a concentration camp. Yeah seeing beauty and i can't see beauty because like sandy forgot to buy me oreos or something you know and that destroys my entire week you know um or i have a boss that's an asshole yeah you know like we can change the way that we process information you know because we're in control of it yeah. and and that's the thing i want to be like a light that shows people that teaches them or 
gives them control back in their lives, the control that was taken away from them, that's taken away from all of us when we're kids. Yeah. And and that that's just what how that's going to happen, how that's going to look. I also want a lot of money. I like a lot of money. But um, other than that, <laughs> like I, I can do away with that. Like I can live with just having that. You know, I talked to a friend of mine yesterday and she was saying like, she was like, God put you here to do this. And I'm, I'm like, dude, what? She's like, there's just something about you. And I'm, I'm and I'm, I struggle with it because my old Christian side is like, that's pride. And the devil is full of pride and you're the devil, you know, all that stuff. But without like this prideful, like, this is me, look at how great I am. Cause it's not about me. It's about yeah. them. You know, yeah. what I offer to my clients is worthless. But if they put in the work and take the actions, it's priceless. You know, I mean, and and how many, like, in fact, my dresser, my um, my dresser was given to me by the military. It was like issued and stuff when I when I lived in Italy. And my kids used to put stickers on it. You know, like they'll get a sticker or whatever. And they decided like I would wake up and there would be like a couple of different stickers, like a heart, I love you, stuff like that. I will never get rid of that dresser. And in fact, one of the drawers is is the the front of it. Like I pulled it off and it just broke off. So now I just take my like shorts and stuff and I just shove them in this hole in the dresser. And Sandy's like, well, you need a dresser. I'm like, I have a dresser. Like that dresser is literally worthless, but it is priceless to me because of what my children turned it into. Yeah. And and I think. wow i'm feeling like because i've never thought about it i think as deep as this but i i want to remind people that they are priceless i want that to be the mission of my life has yeah. nothing to do with me has everything to do with how priceless they are mm -hmm. yeah yeah there's that quote that gets passed around a lot. Uh, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. We yeah. think, you know, who am I to be wealthy and famous and influential, right? Who are you not to be? And when I sit with that thought, and that's exactly what you're saying, like, you are a piece of a star. Like you are here, you have all this. Who are, if you don't be great, what a tragedy that is. Like you, who are you to deny the world of your greatness? And there's so much training in us that doesn't want us to accept that message. But man, when you feel that, you're like, why would I dim my light? What a sad thing to do to the world. And then you, you know, embrace that on a larger scale and think, what if everybody in the world felt that way and everybody was shining their light? Like what a different planet we would have. Oh my God. Yeah. And this, and this is the way that you do it, right? One person at a time and then one auditorium at a time. And then and I just think that's beautiful. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing all of all of that you shared and your journey to get you to where you are. I think it was really great. Yeah, and thank you for letting me do it too. Because I, 
sometimes like I, I need the reminder in myself. Yeah. Because you know? sometimes like for me, it can it can get hard to work. Yep. Because those thoughts, you know, I mean, and those thought patterns, they're deep, you know. Oh yeah. Um and and to counteract it, it's funny too, because like the, the weeks that I I put off work a lot, I feel more anxiety, more depression. And then the weeks that I do it, I'm like, I'm feeling good. Like I'm feeling really good. Um, so it, it's it's so important to remind ourselves exactly of of who we are and and to see like like when you you had said like you were telling like your friends like my story and stuff like that. I'm like, why? Like it's just me, you know, instead of saying it's me. Yes. You know, I have a story and my story is amazing. And not because it is the greatest story in the world, because it's me. Yes. You know, and again, I'm priceless. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Mm. You can just feel it. It just feels so good. <laughs> yeah. Like, and that's like, I always like, Cause there, there's some, especially like in my family, there's some people that are just angry, you know, like the way I used to be. And I'm like, you know, I noticed like when I felt angry, I would feel angry and I didn't like that, <laughs> you know, like oh. so I'll, I'll let some, like somebody, in fact, even playing pool on Friday night, there's a lot of angry people like playing pool, but I had a guy going off on me once and, and everything. But now I see like that, that, that anger comes from a place of hurt in them. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to like somebody like comes in in a wheelchair or something because they have two broken legs. I'm not going to go and smash their legs with my pool stick. You know, that would be mean. So if somebody starts going off on me and be like, oh, it's all right, man. All right. Yeah. I, I like, cause I was standing in this guy's line of sight and, and you're not supposed to, but the pool is so packed. There's really not a lot of places to go, but the guy shook so much. I think he had the beginning stages of Parkinson's cause I haven't seen him in, in like a year. So I'm, and, and he, he just, he couldn't make a shot because he was shaking so much. So I'm like, he's mad at his body's failing and he's, he's blaming, not, not blaming me, but the anger is coming out to me. Perfectly natural. Yep. It's not a problem because we all do it. Yep. And so I'm like, his name was Arthur. I'm like, all right, Arthur, I'm going to stay out of your way, man. You know? And then a couple shots later, I was completely out of his way and I'm walking by because he missed a shot to go back to the table. And he's like, supposed to stay out of my way. I'm like, I'm out of your way, dude. It's okay. Just having yeah. some fun, you know? And, and there were, there was another guy on my team that was like wanting to go off. I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't need anybody to fight my battles. Right. You know? And you recognize an injury, like you said, broken leg, anger, right? It's all injury. And you, you're going, okay, there's room for your injury here. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah. We all have injuries. I I even like, I, I got um, into a fight and I always brag about this because like, you know, I'm 48. So my fighting days are in my past, um, but I took this kid down, man. So, cause he was going after my son-in-law and then my daughter got involved and I'm like, well, what the hell? So then I go up and I'm just, I'm trying to push the guy. I'm like, dude, just stop, relax, relax. And he just wouldn't. So I'm like, you know, I worked in the prisons for a while and everything was just bring him to the ground, you know? So I'm like, all right, I'm gonna bring this guy to the ground hip toss him, put him on the ground, land on top of him. And as soon as I land, I'm like, I'm like, all right, we're good. All right, dude. I'm like, I'm I, I didn't, sorry, we're good. 
right? I ended up, I learned, I split his elbow open. He, I, and this is the way I say it, and this is just for a joke, but I slammed him so hard, he quit pool. And I'm like, <laughs> but when, when, um, cause the cops had come, you know, and everything. And, and, and he was telling the cops, he's like, I don't know, some old guy threw me on the ground. And I'm like, I'm that old guy. You know? <laughs> and then when the cops were like, who is it? The waitress was like, the guy that looks like Santa. And I'm oh, like, that's man. right. I'm a badass Santa, man. You know, I will hip toss you anywhere. Um, but I was in complete control the whole time. And then afterwards, I was joking with this kid. Yeah. You know, like, there's no reason to be angry. Mm-hmm. There's no reason, like, but his anger comes from a place of, of complete inside. He's shattered. You know, I, I found out later on, this kid has been kicked out of numerous pool halls exactly for this. Yeah. You know? um, and, and that's just his own brokenness that comes out and he's operating completely in survival mode, you yep. know? So I decided to demonstrate something different. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, and, and I always see that. I think there was, um, you had put up a video and there was a comment on there. And, and every time you do it, dude, I like cheer. I like throw my arms up. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Because people will say like the worst things. And you're like, thank you for continuing the conversation. And I'm like, oh yes, that, that is the thing. But I think someone commented, like, I will treat people the way they treat me. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, and, and I was like that all the time, but I realized it made me see everybody else as an other, as, as, as a threat that I always had to be on guard for. And that will cause tons of anxiety. You know, anxiety is a, is a, is a early warning system in our head. So if we see the entire world as threats, you walk into target and everybody in there is a threat. Yeah. You're, you, you know, you're like this the whole time. You know, um, you're always looking around. So instead, now I see people as as the divine person that they are, sometimes doing stupid shit, you know, sometimes yeah. doing stuff that makes me angry. But I can talk to them. In fact, the other the other week at pool, this lady was being just really mean. Um, like not like not just not doing things the way the way that sh- they should be done. And um I was keeping score for my team. She was keeping score for her team. And I messed up the score. And she gave me this look that was like, I wish you were dead. And, and I looked and I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, ma'am. And she starts laughing. And she's like, she puts her hand on my arm. She's like, I am so sorry. I don't mean to be like this. She goes, I, I just lost my father. Yeah. I got up, gave her a hug. I'm like, I am so sorry. I'm like, yell at me all you want. I can't imagine what you're going through right now. Yeah. You know, she's like my best friend. Yeah. Beautiful. You know, people just they they need love. Yep. Yeah. And it, yeah. it it's such and it's such a it's more powerful. People think, especially men, think anger is tough. Little kids throw temper tantrums. That's anger. You know, you're just a, a 30-year-old, 40-year-old having a two-year-old temper tantrum in the aisle at Target because you want a G.I. Joe or something or whatever toys are out there now. Right, totally. Right? Love is the most powerful thing on this yeah. planet. I, in fact, I've heard one thing. The only thing more powerful than love is authenticity. Yeah. And I think authenticity is love, right? Self-love. Self-love. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I think 
you know, we spent a lot of time this podcast talking about, you know, the freedom that you can get from your own brain. There's you and your brain and you're not a slave to your brain, right? You don't have to do that. But now we're talking about the next level of that, which is I don't have to be a slave to other people. I don't have to react to them. Yes. And so this process of healing or personal growth or whatever you want to call it is really the process of becoming free from your own brain and from reacting to other people all the time. It's liberation. And, and that's when, like when I answered that lady um, who said that you never knew God and stuff, that's when I started to see, when I started seeing it's freedom from letting other people dictate how I'm going to feel. And I started putting love above, not worrying about, oh, people are thinking, because even people in my family think that I'm just like a, a, a rug for people to walk on. They're starting to see the difference, you know, but I'm like, no, love is stronger than that. Love is like, you want to walk on me? Is that what, if that's what you need to do, go ahead, do it, you know? And, and, you know, being in, in, in church for 40 years, reading my Bible through once every three months, like, I don't, I'm not a theologian or anything, but I know the stories and it's, it's really becoming apparent to me now, like this is the way that Jesus lived. Mm -hmm. Even when they came to arrest him in the garden to bring him to crucify him and Peter took out his sword and lopped off that dude's ear, one of the guards ear, and got, and Jesus healed him. He's like, yeah. you're, you're going to, you're going to kill me. You're about to torture and kill me, but let me heal you. Yeah. That is, that is a strength that I want in my life. Yep. And it's freedom, right? It's freedom to choose who you are and how you show up, regardless of how anybody else is showing up. Yeah. And, and it helps every aspect from the, so, you know, we're at that age now, me and Sandy, where, you know, Sandy's starting, uh, um, her hormones are shifting and stuff yeah. and it gets, it gets me, man. Um, you know, I, like I always tell, like, I'm going to go in my shame corner and just rock and stuff. But like, um, what was it? Oh, we were going to, uh, my niece's birthday party and I'm, I'm the type of guy, like, I don't know what's going on until Sandy tells me, like, I don't know my parents' birthdays They're, they We just had their 50th anniversary. I had no idea, you know, but Sandy's like, Hey, we're going out to eat on, on Sunday at two 30 for your parents' anniversary. I'm like, Oh, okay. What do we get them? You know? And then right. she'll tell me, you know, and, um, like, perfect. So we're driving to my brother's house and I'm like, oh, what are we doing for dinner tonight? Cause I'm thinking normally we just do like cake and coffee or whatever, you know? And she was just feeling something. And she goes, I thought pizza at four would be good. And like snapped at me. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. I'll, I'll be very happy with that. Thank you. <laughs> and, and she just starts laughing. She's like, I know I'm being like, I, I know I'm being stupid and being, and I'm like, nope, nope, you ain't being stupid at all. I'm stupid, you know? And then she laughs more, yeah. you know? And then when I tell her the story back later on, I'm like, yeah, it just surprised me. Cause you were like, I thought pizza at four would be good enough for you. You fat ass, you know? And then she's like crying. She's laughing so hard, you know? So instead of taking it as this personal thing and knowing it comes from a place of pain in her that she doesn't understand, I can now turn it into a playful thing that bring us, brings us closer together. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's so powerful. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. you, you could start almost like controlling people, you know, with it. Yeah. You know, use it for evil. <laughs>
Yeah, I always tell folks like if they're looking for a quick change, fall in love with everything. Just love everything. That's the quickest way you can change your life. Yes. When you're in that state of love, everything you touch becomes golden. Like it's, it's a magic power. It changes things. It changes people. So if you're looking for the one thing that you can do to change your life, just fall in love with your life. That alone is a tremendous change. Yes. That, and that, I think, I think you, you perfectly said it. That is what I did. That was my, like, like, did you know, like trees are master chemists, right? So they'll have a bug that they've never had before. They've never experienced, like some bug will come from down South up North or whatever and, and take a bite of the tree and the tree will analyze the saliva of the bug and then create a chemical to either deter the bug or attract its natural predator. And it's a tree. We're like, oh, it's just this dead thing that I can turn into a desk or paper or whatever. And it's like, no, you know, as I breathe out, it inhales my way, the carbon dioxide. And then as it breathes out, I live off of the waste that it produces the oxygen. Like, holy shit. We are part of a network that operates off of taking care of each other, you know, but we've become so individualistic. In fact, the yeah. only the the only bigger thing that 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 oh, I'm getting excited that um helped our our survival sorry was um, beyond the negativity was cooperation. Yeah, you know that is what enabled us to live in bigger bands, bigger groups, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and now we're living in massive cities and stuff. You know, but and technology is so incredible, but technology I think separates us. You know, there's a difference between even having this conversation. Wow. I think it would be a lot different if me and you were sitting face to face than just like on the screen, even though this is like amazing, but you know, technology, it's all about the individual. What is going to keep you scrolling? Yeah. yeah. You know, so the algorithm goes to you. Yeah. I think technology is one of those things that hopefully we'll get a hold of it before it gets a hold of us. Right. Like hopefully consciousness will begin to use it in a better way than the algorithms and the corporations learning to target us so they can sell us more stuff because it can be used for good. Right. There are people who are in the fields that are trying to do that. And, you know, I try to study who they are and how I can support them. And, and even more, I think of what's important in America is who can I vote for that is not being supported by the lobbies opposite of this, right? Like the political piece of it, because that is so much of how these corporations get power and how things come into being. And I think that that's a whole nother level that you can play with in the world. If you want to be a force of change or a force of good, you think your life is insignificant. No, it's not. You can start anywhere right? You can have a massive impact in your life. It's just you deciding where, how do you want to fall in love with your life? Where do you want to have impact? Right. And and when you're operating specifically out of that survival network of our brain, you'll never be able to answer those questions because those questions are answered with imagination. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I think sometimes the other thing to notice is that 
if you've been in a situation like the military or a crazy job burnout, it could take a year or more for your nervous system to regulate itself and for you to just be giving yourself nourishing soup and rest, right? Like you have a cold until your nervous system comes down. And people, you know, we we live in a world that's like this. So we think, oh, I quit that job yesterday. I should be healthy tomorrow. No, if you've been under stress, it's going to take some time and that's okay. That's all a part of the journey. And that's why it's so great to be journey focused instead of destination focused, right? How can I feel that now? How can I love my life now? How can I be present now? Instead of thinking, how can I make sure I'm present and in love with my life next year? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember talking to this guy and I don't really like him, um, but he, he was, he was a good businessman and uh, he was making a lot of money. And I was young too. I think I was like in my late twenties and I was like, I, I, I want to be, I, I want to have millions, you know, I want to have money to be able to do things I want to do. And, um, and he said to me, he goes, if you can't manage $10, the $10 you have in your pocket, you will not be able to manage the 10 million that you want. Yep. And I was like, you're an asshole, man. You know, but then <laughs> as I, as I grew and, and I'm like, that's true. Yep. You know, and if I can't make myself happy, if I can't connect with my happiness, um, with love, contentment now, in the place where my life is now, there is nothing that is going to happen. I can get, I can hit hit the jackpot and get like a billion. What is the Powerball, whatever, whatever they call it, you know, it'll, it'll do nothing for me. I still will not be happy. I might be happy for a little bit, but one of the things that Tony Robbins said that I was like, Ooh, that makes a lot of sense, you know, cause we're always looking for balance. You know, he goes, go to a hospital and see somebody that's all like, you know, like wired up and, and they got the thing on their heads and, and the machines going beep, beep, beep. You know, he said, if they had balance, it means they're dead. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Life is the ups and downs. Yep. So learning to fall in love with that, yes. you know, and saying, oh man, like the, one of the weirdest things to me has been, I felt so depressed, so lonely, so alone and I felt that it was the coolest thing that I had been feeling in such a, and I'm like, wow, this is yeah. awesome. Cause I realized I learned in love with, I fell in love with the fact that I feel, you know, that it wasn't, what I was feeling wasn't bad, that the meaning I give to it wasn't, this is bad and I shouldn't be feeling it. I don't want to be feeling it. It doesn't matter. It's what I'm feeling. Yeah. yeah. And being okay with that, you know, like, yeah. so I'm depressed, but I'm incredibly happy at the same time. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. 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 I know for me, these last couple of years since my son moved out. So, you know, empty nest and I've been doing a lot less. And there was a part of me that was beating myself up for that. Right. Yeah. And then one day I realized, you know what? I never had the chance to be a kid. I had my son really young. Right. I never had my twenties or anything. How lucky is it that I can sit on the couch and play Tetris for hours? Yes. How awesome that I get to experience in my own way, this little rebellious outbreak of a couple years after my son leaves, when I sit around in my sweats and don't do anything, 
I can choose something else in the future, but right now I'm choosing that. Yes. And it doesn't make me a failure. It makes me someone who knows how to meet my own needs and give my small 20 year old self the thing that she never got. Yes. That, and that is such an amazing example. Yeah. Cause that's yeah. one of the areas like where, where your life stage sort of changes and, and people can get stuck and begin to suffer, you know, and, and you fought with that, like, and then like playing Tetris for hours, be like, oh, this is horrible. I'm not producing. I'm not hustling. I'm not working for what? Right. You know, all your needs are met. Yep. And so, obviously there's something in me that needs that downtime right now. Yes. So how about I honor that? Right. And lean into that because it's not going to last forever, yeah. but it's right now. Right. And that's love, loving your life, loving yourself. That's what I need right now. Yeah. I'm going to give myself that because I love me. That's all. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this yeah. is such a really good conversation. Thank you again. Let's wrap it up and um, I'll see you on the next recording. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Chasing Thoughts podcast. Please support us by liking, subscribing, or leaving a review or comment. We would really appreciate it. If you'd like to be a guest, we would love to explore life and what it means to be human with you. Please email us at chasingthoughtspodcast at gmail.com.